Good morning, everyone. I know I said I wasn't going to be here this week, but I guess I was wrong. Uh, well, I, I, uh, I contacted my boss, and uh, who does the schedule, and I said, you know, if we could, uh, we promised uh, Pastor Bill that we would uh, we would provide whatever help we could during transition. And uh, we've got a chance to keep that promise if you'll let me out of my assignment for next week and let me go back to Green Mountain Chapel. And he said, sure, go ahead. And then he said, I have no idea what I'm going to preach, but go ahead. He had a whole week to prepare and he spent most of the week in bed. <laughs> so we've, been, we've been sharing this delightful little bug through our family. As I said to you last week, we have a two-year-old and a four-year-old who live upstairs in our house in an apartment, and they so happily come and share everything with us. It doesn't matter if it's cookies or biscuits or the flu, they're going to they're gonna give it to us. But uh, as, as, as I share with you this morning, I have a couple of things I want to say. First of all, this is, this is kind of a unique day for me and for our family. For this morning, there's something happening this morning in our family that's never happened before. We have, I have myself and two of my boys preaching today in different places from different pulpits at the same time. Uh, I'm preaching here. Brian's preaching across town in, uh, at Agape, and my son Andrew is preaching in uh, Pooler, Georgia, where he lives now, and he's working with a, uh, a, a wonderful little church in Pooler called the Global Methodist Church, and uh, he's preaching for the very first time today. And so uh, he, he had him out on Facebook for prayer because he was battling with this. He had the well, they were just here last week, so we sent it back to Georgia with them. You know, head on back to Georgia and take it. Could everybody please pray because I have to preach my first sermon this week and I'm sick. Yeah, he well, you know what. He's going to have to learn to do that a lot if he yeah. continues on, <laughs> continues on in the ministry. But that's kind of special. I just looked up uh, yesterday and I, all of a sudden I thought, wow, there are three of us. You know, a long time ago I prayed. I said, Lord, here's what this is the desire of my heart. Uh, I know I'm not going to live forever. But my prayer is that the devil will have to deal with somebody with my last name until Jesus comes. <laughs> And apparently we're we're kind of getting getting that way, and so I'm I'm really thrilled. And I've also got a grandson who is uh, considering entering into the ministry. So we're starting to get down to the next level of generations now. So we're we're really we're really excited. Well, he's he's a grandson by marriage, but he's still a, he was still a grandson. But I want you to know I want to I want to reemphasize, and I need to hurry this morning because Soton's already told me he's leaving. Uh, <laughs> you know, usually people wait till I say something to make them mad before they leave. He just came in and announced he's leaving early. So I don't really know what that means, but <laughs> I know you got a basketball game to go to. But I, uh, I, I, wanna, I want you to know that I have prayed uh, diligently over what I shared with you last week and what I'm sharing this week. And I understand I'm coming back in April for a couple of weeks, and I'll be praying about that as well. I, I want you to understand that uh, we understand that you're, this church is in a time of transition and we're praying for you. A lot of things happen, a lot of things change, a lot of things are unknown, a lot of things are concerning. And we are praying for you that the decisions you make with regard to the future of the church, your pastor, whoever he might be, the emphasis in the ministry as you go forward, that it would all be guided by the hand of God. 
that this, this is a time of great importance, not only to Green Mountain Chapel, but the body of Christ in Brattleboro. Whatever happens at Green Mountain Chapel is going to impact all of us. I, I believe that with all of my heart. Jesus only has one church. We meet in different places and we look different and we have different styles, but there's only one church. And if we don't get over this thing of that's that church and that's our church and that's this, the church belongs to the Lord Jesus. Amen. And, and we need to start thinking in that way. And we've been working very hard as a group of pastors to know that whatever happens at Green Mountain Chapel is going to impact the whole community, Christian community. And we're praying for you. So here's what God's given me for you today. John chapter 20, if you have your Bibles with you, John chapter 20, uh, starting in verse 19, this is, uh, this is Jesus uh, after the resurrection, after the resurrection, Jesus appears to his disciples, starting in verse 19, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Father, as I share today, I, I pray that you will give me clarity of mind, that you'll have me have good spiritual ears so that I can hear what you're saying to the church. I don't want to give my opinions. I want your word. And so I pray that you would, uh, you would just anoint my lips today to bring your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, let me tell you what I believe, and I believed it for a long time. Uh, this nation is doomed if we don't see a move of God. I, I don't know how to say it any other way than to say it bluntly. God has said over and over and over again to the nation that forgets me, I will, I will remove from the face of the earth. And America has clearly forgotten God. We've turned our back on God. I, I, I heard a good friend of mine, a good preacher friend of mine on his uh, a radio broadcast this week. He said, we have spit in the face of God. We are doomed if we do not see a move of God. And I will tell you that what this nation needs is not going to come from Washington. It's not going to come from the White House. It's not going to come from Congress. It's, it's not, it's not going to come from, uh, from the U.N., what this nation needs is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We need God to move upon this nation in a remarkable, unprecedented way. Uh, this, this, I believe, with, with all of my heart. We are not going to see revival uh, because of great preachers. We're not going to see revival because of great churches. We're not going to see revival because of great worship teams. We're going to see revival when God comes in a visitation upon this nation and shakes us to our core. I don't know what it will take, but I know this, God will do whatever it takes to wake his people up. Whatever it takes. So listen, listen, this is what I've got for you this morning. Listen to Jesus' word in Luke chapter 9. If you've got your Bibles, go there. Luke chapter 9, the first uh, six verses or so. <coughs> Excuse me. 
this is the occasion where Jesus now has been with his disciples for a while, and now he's going to send them out. He's not going with them. He's going to send them. And in verse uh, 1 of chapter 9, he says, And he called the twelve together and gave them, listen carefully to the words, he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, Take nothing for your journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, and do and do not have two coats. And whatever house you enter in, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust uh, from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Jesus says to these guys, uh, I, I want you to go. Now, flip over one chapter to chapter 10, Luke chapter 10. And on this occasion, Jesus sends out 72 disciples, not 12, but 72. And we're going to pick it up in uh, verse, uh, I think it's 18 or 17. Luke chapter 10, verse 17. Now they've gone, same commission, same orders, same description of what they're to do. Jesus gave them power and authority over diseases and over demons. They come back in verse 17, and the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us when we speak your name. That's critical. And he said to them, I saw Satan, Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority. Listen to that. I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. I want you to see three things this morning. Three things that the church possesses that in many cases we have forgotten. And in, for, for a number of generations, two or three generations now in this country in the church, so much, so much of the church has been driven by programs, by eloquent speakers, by dynamic music, by, by programs that we plug everybody into, and we have forgotten the essentials, <coughs> excuse me, the essentials of ministry, and we need to remember them. We need to remember them very clearly because I'll remind you that the people who turned this world upside down, who turned the Roman Empire on its head, the people who, who moved into culture and literally changed the, the face of culture, they didn't have great buildings and fine programs and, and eloquent speakers and, and sophisticated uh, seminarians. They, they were simple men. They were fishermen. They were tax collectors. They were reformed uh, accountants. They were, uh, they were all sorts of things, but they were not, let's, let's say they were not the intelligentsia. They weren't the sharpest tools in the shed. They weren't the, they weren't the strongest personalities. Uh, a lot of times if we, <coughs> if we look at the guys Jesus chose to follow him, we go, whew, what was he thinking? He could have looked a little harder. I mean, the only guy of the original 12 that Jesus chose that had the proper resume would have been Judas. The rest of them were a bunch of ruffians. <coughs> but Jesus chose these, <coughs> excuse me, Jesus chose these guys. Apparently, Andrew did not take all of the bug with him back to Georgia. So, 
there are three things that God has given us. I want you to think about this. Jesus went into that room. They're hiding there. They're scared to death. They're locked in a room. They're scared of the Jews. They're afraid of the Roman soldiers showing up. And suddenly Jesus was with them. And he gave them proof of his resurrection. He showed them his hands and his feet. He said, it's really me. Don't, don't panic. I'm not a ghost. It's really me. And then the word of God says he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And so... Thus, they begin their ministry. But in Luke chapter 9, Luke chapter 10, here's what we learn. Jesus has given us authority. He says, I have given you authority over the demonic realm and over the physical disease realm. I have given you authority. And then he sent them out. Now, authority is different from power. Authority is not brute, brute strength. Authority is something that is delegated. Let me illustrate. We have some fine policemen in this area. Policemen do not have the power, let's say, to stop a semi-truck. Policeman steps in the middle street, truck's coming down Western Avenue, he puts up his hands, and through sheer power, he stops that truck. No, he doesn't. He doesn't have the power to do that. What he has is authority. He wears a badge. And that badge says that uh, I have the authority to point to you and say, stop, and you have to stop. And the reason he has that kind of authority is that someone greater than him, someone higher to, than him, someone with greater authority than him has delegated that authority and has said, in my name, I want you to manage the traffic in this town. I want you to manage crime in this town. That badge is a signet or a sign of his authority. We see it. How many of you go down the road? You're doing exactly 55 miles an hour in a 55 mile an hour zone, and you see a policeman sitting on the side. What's the first thing you do? I get my foot off the gas. Unless you're from Connecticut. Right on down. I just, just needed to point that out. All right. Uh, so to the believer... If we understand what Jesus is saying, to the believer, our badge is the name of Jesus. I want you to see some important distinctions this morning, because if you are a follower of Jesus, he says to you and to me, first thing he says to me and you is receive the Holy Spirit. We, we can't do anything. It is the Holy Spirit that convicts us of our sin. It's the Holy Spirit that draws us to Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit that resides with us and, and teaches us and, and, and uh, pricks our conscience when it needs to be uh, awakened up. But uh, he says, God has, listen to this, this is cool. The Bible in Ephesians uh, chapter 2 verse 6 says this, God has raised us up and caused us to sit down with Jesus in heavenly places. Now, let me just give you a little history here. When Jesus ascended from the Mount of Olives on the day of ascension, he ascended into heaven, and do all of us know where he went? He went to the throne room of heaven, and he sat down at the right hand of the Father. This is important, because in biblical sim sim symbolism, the right hand is the hand of authority. 
When someone says, sit at my right hand, he's, he's inviting us to sit in the seat of authority. We have been seated together with him, him in heavenly places. Jesus has been seated in the place of authority, and we are seated with him. When we pray in the name of Jesus, we are praying from the place of authority. We're not just pitiful little people down here with a lot of problems and we're not really making it and we're weak and we're poor and we're broken and we're old. and We're, we are seated in a place of authority. And we need to understand when we pray in the name of Jesus, we're praying from a position of authority. A few years ago, we, had been, we were supporting a, a church building effort, a mission effort in, on the island of Irianjaya. I know all of you have been there. You've always wanted to go on your vacation there. Irianjaya is a little tiny island. If you look at, on a map, you see Indonesia. It's made up of a bunch of islands. Well, Irianjaya is it's in the boondocks, all right, of Indonesia. It is way on the perimeter of Indonesia. I mean, it's out there. A fella came to our church who was recently saved, Oh, who had been saved. He was a member of the Doni tribe in, 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 in Irianjaya. And he was, let me just tell you about this guy. He was one generation removed from his parents and grandparents who were cannibals. They used to eat their enemies. His grandparents ate their enemies. That's how primitive this place would be. As a matter of fact, they lived in a valley in Irianjaya. They had never been outside of that valley. They thought that valley was the whole world. They thought if you went over the top of the mountain, you're out of the world. You're gone. That's how primitive they were. One day, a big yellow, they called it a bee, flew over their uh, uh, valley and landed in a river. And, and this guy tells us this, this man got out of the bee. He walked out of the belly of the bee. And we thought, he's so light-colored. The, 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 that, that must be a place where they cook people, and he's not done. <laughs> That, that was the, the primitive place where they were coming. He had been saved. <coughs> I'd become a leader in the church there. He came to my church and he spoke. At the end of the morning, he said this. I'm talking fast because I'm putting extra stuff in there that I didn't mean to. So, um, and I don't want Stoughton to leave too quick. <laughs> I'm going to pick on you all morning. You know that. So, so he came to me after the service and I shook his hand and I said, thank you so much for coming. And he said this. He said, Pastor, it is so good to meet with you again. And I thought, okay, I know I'm getting forgetful. But I'm sure I've never met this guy before. Now watch what happens. A one generation away from cannibalism is going to teach me something. I said, we have, we've never met. He says, oh, Pastor, you don't understand. When I pray, I pray seated at the throne of heaven. And when you pray, you pray seated at the throne of heaven. And he stuck out his hand and he says, so good to meet with you again. We are seated in the seat of authority. And Jesus says, when you pray, pray in my name, because that means you're praying with authority. It's my authority. I've delegated it to you. I have entrusted it to you and I expect you to use it. Jesus says, behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions 
and over all the power of the enemy. Notice all the power of the enemy. All of it. Your authority is greater than the devil's authority because your authority comes from the throne of God. So as you pray for the future of this church, pray seated at the right hand of the Father. Pray with authority. Father, we want the right man in here. We don't want just a good-looking man. We don't just want a talented man. We don't just want a good speaker. We want your man to be in this place. And that's what we're asking for in the name of Jesus. The power to destroy the works of the enemy rests in the name of Jesus. He has given us, I'm sure some of you, some of you before, I've got to get something else, isn't it? Some of you before have had the experience of a relative, maybe a mother, maybe a father, maybe an aunt or an uncle, who has declined in health so much that they have signed over a power of attorney. Anybody here ever had to have a power of attorney? Jackie, I know Jackie has. You have? Now what that is, is this person, while they're in control of their faculty, says on a legal document, I am giving you the power to use my name. Well, the court does it. I understand it. But, but I know when, when my wife received a power of attorney, she went with her mother to the lawyer's office to fill out this thing. So that power of attorney was given over. That meant that Barbara could deposit checks. She could cash checks. She could write checks. She could make purchases. She could sell property. She could do whatever needed to be done for her mom because her mom had said, I give you a power of attorney over my name. Guess what? Jesus has given us a power of attorney over his name. You can go and face the power of the enemy in my name. He has given us authority and power over the enemy. Now, let me go on because I'll just be here all day. Uh, there are a lot of people who believe, you know, you remember the Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost? Uh, and the Holy Spirit came and wonderful things happened and the church moved in great power, great authority. There are a lot of people who believe that it was at that point when the Holy Spirit came that then the disciples were given the power uh, to, to heal and to deliver from demons and, and all of that stuff. That happened on the day of Pentecost. That's not right. They already had that power. Long before the day of Pentecost come, Luke chapter 9, Luke chapter 10, the Holy Spirit hadn't come. The day of Pentecost hadn't arrived, but Jesus was sending them out and saying, Go, and I'm going to give you authority over all disease and over the power of the enemy. Based on the scriptures we've read, before the Holy Spirit came on that day of Pentecost, the power over the enemy is this, does not come when we are filled with the Spirit of God. The power over the enemy comes when we, you, me, everybody in this room, come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. When we submit our lives and we come under the lordship of Jesus Christ, he gives us authority to make demands, to make commands, to make strong prayers, because we do so 
with the name of Jesus. I, want, I just want you to understand that. Though those believers were ministering to human need. They were ministering to the sick. They were ministering to the broken. They were ministering to, the, to those who were demon-possessed, who had lost their minds because of this, before the Holy Spirit came in power. Why? Because they had submitted themselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And he had said, as the one who is under my lordship, you are under my rule, I give you power over all the enemy and all of his devices. You know, there were, uh, in Acts chapter 19, there were seven sons, they call them seven sons of Zephka. Uh, they, they watched the apostle Paul, and uh, he, he was going through the area, and he was casting out devils. He would go into people who were demon-possessed. They were wild men. They were crazy men because of the demonic entities that inhabited them. And Paul would go in, and he would look them in the eye, and he would say, In the name of Jesus Christ, you come out. And the seven sons of Sethka said, That is so cool. <laughs> did you see what he did down the street? Hey, you know, we got this crazy guy next door neighbor of ours. We're going to go in there. We're, we're going to go in there. And we're going to, in the name of Jesus, you know, we're, we're going to cast them demons out. So they went in that house and they stood there and they said to that demoni demoniac, they said, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, you come out. The demon spoke to him and said, well, now, Jesus, we know. And Paul, we know. But who are you? And he leaped on them and sent them running out of the house, screaming, butt naked. What's the problem? They weren't in a relationship to Jesus. They had not come under the lordship of Jesus Christ. They were just mimicking what they saw somebody else do. And we, we, it's not some kind of a magic potion or, or a mystical uh, saying that we can make. Incantam, uh, incan, you know what I'm saying. Incantation. Thank you. English is hard. Anyway, <laughs> what, what, what the difference between them and Paul was that Paul was in a relationship. He had come under the lordship of Jesus and therefore had the authority to employ Jesus' names. These guys were not in a relationship to Jesus. They had not given their lives over to the lordship of Christ. So they had not been given permission to use the name of Jesus. And so they went in there and got their tails kicked out of the house. You don't ever want to start playing with those kind of demonic influences in the world if you're not walking under the headship of Jesus. Because you don't have that authority. He's not given it to you. So let me show you something else. The next thing that we see is that he gives us power. First, he gave us authority. And then he gives us power. Jesus not only provides us with power, but through the Holy Spirit, uh, he has promised us power. Look at this, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Some of you can probably quote it. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, I want you to notice something really carefully here. This is a promise that was given by Jesus to the disciples as he stood on the Mount of Olives getting ready to be taken up into heaven. He says to them, the Holy Spirit's going to come on you in a new relationship. He's going to come and he's going to dwell within you. And his dwelling, indwelling in you is going to give you power 
to be my witnesses. I, I want to make a clear distinction here. The, the authority is in Jesus' name, and His authority gives us permission. It gives us, it, it launches us into a ministry to destroy the works of the devil. What's the power of the Holy Spirit for? To be my witnesses, He says. He says, after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, you shall receive power to be my witnesses. Now, what is a witness? A witness is someone who gives testimony to something else, to someone else. If you get called into a courtroom, here's what they want to know. They want to know what you've seen, what you've heard, what you've experienced, your own self. They don't want to know what you heard from Aunt Sally's Uncle Bob's third cousin. Okay, that's hearsay. That's what the sons of Sethka did. They went in and they said, well, we've heard Paul say in the name of Jesus. No, 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 no. We, he wants us to be witnesses. I believe that the Holy Spirit came to give us power to win the lost. And I see this over and over again. You can see it almost right away on the day of Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit came, they were in the upper room, they were praying. They, the, the, this Jewish holiday was about to come to an end. And early in the morning, nine o'clock in the morning, the Holy Spirit came. When, a mighty rushing wind, tongues of fire came and set on their head. They began to speak in languages that they hadn't learned. Interestingly enough, they were the languages that everybody around them knew. And they burst out into the streets and they began to preach the gospel. To preach the gospel. And they preached the gospel with power and with authority. And at, at, right in the middle of Peter's sermon, he didn't have to give an altar call. He didn't have to sing 28 verses of Just As I Am. He didn't have to beg people. There were people in the crowd who were, they interrupted him. Brother, what must we do? We are convicted. We understand that we have sinned against God and against His Messiah. What must we do? And Peter told them, repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. And you too shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. A few days later, Peter and John are walking up to the temple. And, and they met a lame man there at the gate of the temple. And uh, he was crippled from birth. And Peter with new understanding, used his authority to say to that man, I don't have any money, but in the what? In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. He used his authority, but then with great power, as crowds started coming from everywhere. I mean, who doesn't love a good miracle? Let's see what's going on. This is crazy. We heard there was a lame guy down there. Let's go see what's happening. And what did Peter do? He didn't do like a lot of us would do today. He didn't hold a healing meeting. He preached the gospel. As a matter of fact, we know that he preached the gospel so powerfully, the, the, the Pharisees and the temple police came. I love what the, the book of Acts says. They were greatly annoyed. I love that. I read that over and over and over again. All the religious guys come running from everywhere. Wait, 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 what are you doing? I'm really annoyed with you. I thought we did away with that whole Jesus thing. What was Peter doing? He was, he was not holding a healing meeting. He wasn't holding a prophetic conference. He was preaching the gospel. And the first time, uh, day of Pentecost, 3,000 men got saved. 
The next event, 4,000 men got saved. Are you ready for this? Two meetings, 7,000 converts. Why? Because they were preaching the gospel with power. In the modern church today, the word of God, I heard Alistair Begg say this is the saddest thing, is that in the church today, the scriptures are no longer enough. We have to have psychology, we have to have sociology, we have to have all the modern, uh, you know, terminology. So many of the churches are listening to what the world is saying. Okay, we got to be like them. You know, when somebody walks through this door and they sit down in a seat here, they're not looking for more of what they see out there. They're looking for something that's different than what's out there or they wouldn't be here. And so we have to remember that it is the Word of God under the anointing of the Holy Spirit that causes men to be convicted in their spirits and cry out, tell me how to be saved. Tell me how to be saved. So, so he not only gives us authority, he gives us power to win the lost. His name gives us authority to heal uh, and to take authority over demons. His Holy Spirit gives us power to reach the lost. Now, just you may or may not know this. I'm getting ahead of you. You're not going to have to leave before I get done. <laughs> Listen to this. The word from which we get witness in the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 8. The Greek word is martus. It's the same word from which we get the word martyr. So what Jesus said to those people, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you're going to receive the power to lay down your life, to be martyred for me. Now, interestingly enough, all of his disciples, except for John, were martyred. They all died a martyr's death. But there's more than one way to be a martyr. Will you lay down your life for me? Will you give up your life for me? Will you give your life over to the, to the work of the kingdom and calling the lost? He says, I'll give you the power to lay aside your life and to pick up my life. To literally die to the flesh. Uh, the Holy Spirit. Are you, I have another good friend who says this, and I love it. I love the shocked look on people's faces. He says, I know you think Jesus came to save you. He didn't come to save you. He came to kill you. And then to raise you up to new life in Christ. To put to death the flesh. If any man is in Christ, he's a what? He's a new creature. Everything that is old is passed away. Everything has become new. So just take this away. Go home today and say, you wouldn't want that crazy preacher said at our church. He said, Jesus came to kill us. <laughs> but that's what he did. He died for us so that we wouldn't have to die eternity. And then he says, if any man will come after me, let him take up his cross. By the way, what is a cross? I know today it's a beautiful piece of jewelry that people wear around their neck. Sometimes we, oh, look, we got one here in the church. It's a piece of decoration. It's interior decorating. The cross is one thing. It's an instrument of death. And it only accomplishes one thing. It kills whatever is on it. And Jesus said, if you want to come after me, you need to take up your cross. Let it kill you. Let it kill the old you. Let it kill the old ideas. Let it kill the old thoughts. And let it raise you up to a new life empowered and given authority by the Spirit of God. 
And so we need to know that we have authority. We also need to know that we have power. Uh, the Holy Spirit comes to create in us. This is why he needs to put us to death, by the way, because he wants to create in us a new life. He wants to put in us. He wants the characteristics of our life to be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. And that's how we know we're walking in him. If that's the fruit that's growing in our life, that's how I know. I, I don't know that you are walking with Jesus because of how loud you preach. I don't care if you have the biggest Bible money can buy. That doesn't tell me you're a Christian. I don't care if you can quote 999 verses by memory or if you've got a, a, a row of Sunday school perfect attendance pins that goes all the way to your ankles. That does not. How many of you got those pins? There's your laughing must be. <laughs> And those are all great things, but that's not how somebody knows you're a follower of Jesus. They know we're a follower of Jesus because Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, is recreating His character in us. And we're walking with His character. So, can any of us become those things without the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives? No, they can't. All right, one more. The Holy Spirit not only gives us authority, He not only gives us power, He gives us boldness. He gives us boldness. One of the things that I hear more often than not, I'm afraid. I'm afraid I don't know enough Bible verses. I'm afraid I don't know the Bible well enough. I'm afraid people will reject me. I don't want to offend people. They're going to get mad at me. I don't want to offend Uncle Sally and Aunt Bob. I, I, I don't want to make them mad. But they've told me they don't want to hear that gospel stuff. And so I, 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 don't want, I don't want to push into their life. Let me tell you something. They took Peter and John after they had healed the lame man at the gate, beautiful, and they beat them, they threw them into jail, and they threatened them. They said, you will stop preaching in the name of Jesus. We order you, we command you. I don't care how many people you heal, stop preaching in the name of Jesus. And let me tell you something, friend. It's not you that people hate. It's Jesus. If you just stop talking about him, you'd be their best buddy. But they don't, want, they don't want to hear the name of Jesus because they hate Jesus. So they said to Peter and John, you're going to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. And Peter said, no, I don't. That's a hard no. Can't do that. I have an authority. Remember that authority? I have an authority that's higher than your authority. There, you, you're commanding me because you have this level of authority, but I'm under the commands of someone who has this level of authority. And I'd rather, I'd rather obey him than you. And so they went out, they went out, they went back to their company, they went into the house where they were meeting, and they said, all right, folks, from here on out, it gets real. They're going to start beating people, they're going to start arresting people, they're going to start taking away all of their assets. Are you hearing anything like this today? Yeah, boy. They're going to come against you, going to shut you down, going to keep you, we're going to close down those churches. I know during COVID, there were so many state leaders across this nation who wanted to use COVID as an excuse to close down churches. Had nothing to do with us being super spreaders. They didn't mind if people rioted in the streets in Portland. They didn't mind if everybody went to Home Depot. They didn't mind if everybody showed up at Walmart. But don't get together in that church. You're going to kill everybody. They wanted to close the church down. Well, let me tell you something. We have a Holy Spirit who gives us boldness. They were, they were greatly annoyed. They told them to stop doing it. So Peter and John went back to their company, and they said, folks, 
this is going to get costly. How many of you know to walk in authority and power in the name of Jesus in 2024 in Brattleboro, Vermont, it's going to get costly. We can sit here in silence. We can keep our mouth shut. We can have our meetings and nobody will bother us. But if we're going to begin to move in authority in the name of Jesus, somebody's going to get mad. All right, that's, that, just accept it. And they went back and they told their company that. And here's what they did. They went to prayer. And they didn't say, oh, God, protect us from being beaten. We don't want to be beaten. They didn't say, oh, God, keep us out of prison. Don't let them take our stuff. No, they said, Father, grant unto your servants that with all boldness we may speak the word of God. Because they're threatening. And don't let us yield. Don't let us, don't let us lose heart. Don't let us lose courage. Give us boldness to speak the word of God. And by stretching forth your hand to heal, signs and wonders may be done in the name of your holy child Jesus. And the scriptures tell us that when they had prayed, the place where they were was filled. They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and they spoke the word of God with boldness. We need men and women in this day and age, churches who are going to speak the word of God with boldness. If we're going to see a revival in America, if we're going to see changes in Brattleboro, we need a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you something and I'll close. I'll quit. The church in the West is dying. Let's be blunt. It's dying. It's not flourishing. It's dying. We're closing more churches than we're opening. And there are more preachers quitting than are starting. And right now, and I'll bet you, your district is struggling to find enough pastors coming out of college to fill in churches because they're just not there. You know why? It costs too much. It costs too much. It's too hard. It's too much opposition. I don't want to go to that little jerkwater town in southern Vermont. I don't know. It's, this is reality. And I will tell you something, the church in Brattleboro, Vermont's not all that healthy. And I'm talking about the whole church. I'm not being mean, I'm just being honest. I've been here 52 years, and I am telling you, there is a, there is a weakness in the body of Christ today. And there is nothing that's going, to, that's going to strengthen us except a fresh infusion of the Holy Spirit. And... Uh, I just I, I say this without without uh, embarrassment. If Green Mountain Chapel, if Agape Christian Fellowship, if West Brattle Baptist, uh, Wyndham, Wyndham Chapel, if the church is going to survive, we need to cry out to God, come and break us and recreate us and make us new and fill us with your Holy Spirit or the church in Brattleboro, Vermont is going to die. We're not going to get it done with programs. We're not going to get it done with, uh, with fancy preaching or music or programs or, or, or ministries or anything else. What we need is not going to come from anywhere but from heaven. And if, you're, if you have a prayer meeting, you need to pray, God, we need a fresh outpouring from heaven. It needs to come from the throne. Just to tear us up. Just, just to, I, I'll tell you what I pray for the church in Brattleboro. I pray it all the time. I'm not ashamed to admit it. God, blow us up. Just blow the whole thing up. Do something new. Something that's never been done before. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost. They were having the greatest religious event of their calendar year. And right in the middle of their religious event, the Holy Spirit came and said, I'm going to take over here. 
Um, I know you're having a great time, you know, waving your sheaves and all that stuff, but I'm going to do something new. I'm going to do something that's never been done before. And when I'm done with you, you are never going to be the same. That's what we need to be praying for. That's what I'm praying for you. That's not only what I'm praying for you, that's what I'm praying for my church. And what I'm praying for other, every other church that I have fellowship with here. And I, I tell the guys at our, our, our weekly meetings, I know I'm the old guy here. Let me be the old guy here. Let me be a little curmudgeon here and say, if we don't get something from heaven, this, the church in Brattleboro is going to die. And we're going to lose Brattleboro to the enemy. What a shame. But we don't have to because we have authority. And we have power. And we can have boldness if we will trust in Him. Let's pray. Father, thank You that You have promised us Your authority. You have given us Your authority. Thank You that You said that when the Holy Ghost has come upon you, you shall receive power to be my witnesses. Holy Spirit, come upon your church fresh and new and, and do something that hasn't happened here in a long, long time. Holy Spirit, come and take control of our programs. Come and take control of our preaching. Come and take control of our praying. Come and smash our fears and our embarrassment and our shame and give us boldness. Because we want to be in the midst of victory, not in the shadow of decline. Thank you for this people. I believe they're a faithful people. But Father, we need something that comes from heaven. And I ask you for it today in Jesus' name. Amen.